Hello, and welcome to episode 29. 29 of The Witcher chapter by chapter book review, where I'll go through a summary of what happened in the latest chapter and give my detailed thoughts on it. Today I'm discussing chapter one from Baptism of Fire. I'm always so excited when we start a new book, and I know that, like I can safely say I'm always excited because this is the fifth book that we have moved on to in this series. That's wild. I started this back in November? Either end of November or beginning of December of the previous year. Um, I say that just in case you're listening far into the future. It's June at the time of this recording. So, I mean, that's not that much time or maybe, I don't know, maybe it is and I'm just getting older and time is flying by and what, what is that, six months, seven months? Um, that doesn't seem like a very long time to me at all. Uh, yeah, let's not go in further into that <laughs> time and getting older. No, not touching that. But yeah, I'm very excited to move on to Baptism of Fire. Getting a little bit nervous that the whole thing is going to go by fast because I don't want this to end. Uh, if you are listening to these podcast episodes um, back to back, like as they come out, then you'll know that I took off the week prior. So I skipped a week for the first time since I started. And uh, I think I'm going to actually do that in between every book. Uh, I really wanted to do it this past time. I won't get too de- detailed on that. But I, I really wanted to do it because I just needed to take a break and get more caught up. And uh, it's just, I just needed to take a week off. Uh, but I think I'm just going to continue to do that in between the rest of the book. So in between this book and Tower of Swallows and in between that and Lady of the Lake. And then I'm going to wrap up the series with Season of Storms. So... I think that that will be a good thing to do so that I can push this whole series out longer. <laughs> I can kind of, I don't want to use the word drag, drag it out because I feel like that sounds uh, like it's mundane or boring. Um, but no, I want to, <laughs> I want it to last as long as I can get it to last because I'm really enjoying this and I, I don't want it to come to an end. And it just thinking about how fast that this has gone since I started until now is it's just making me realize that this whole thing's going to come to an end very quickly i did map it out it's if if i take those breaks in between each book it should be done by about february of or march of 2023 but i could also break some other chapters up into two parts so when you one episode i'll do part one the next episode i'll do part two so it'll be two episodes covering one chapter. I've done that already with a chapter from Blood of Elves. Never did it in Time of Contempt. I actually consider doing it for this chapter because there are a lot of things that happen in this chapter. The past couple of chapters um, in those episodes that I cover them, I said that they went by really fast and they did. Like They were quick episodes, under both under 25 minutes. That's a quick episode. So that that's not going to be the case with this one because there's... <laughs> a lot to discuss and because there's a lot to discuss i'm gonna get into it now instead of continuing my (laughs) rambling all right so i'll kick that off with the recap of the last chapter so that you are caught up and then we'll go into the summary and then we'll talk about it okay so last episode recap after getting caught by a gang known as trappers siri is held prisoner while the gang travels to take her to the local prefect in a nilfgaardian province and collect the reward for her when they stop at an inn, they come across another gang who captured a boy, Kaylee, who's part of a group of young criminals called the Rats. 
The rest of the rats rescue Kaylee from the inn and bring Siri along with them, who sticks around and becomes a part of the group herself. All right, here is chapter one, summary. We start out Baptism of Fire with Milva, a non-dryad archer who lives in Broccolon Forest, recalling her first meetings with Geralt. Shortly after his arrival, Milva was summoned by one of the healers to ask if she would find out news for him while she goes out into the world. At first, Milva is enraged by this request, but agrees after being personally requested by Ithne, the Lady of Broccolon. Milva ventures out into the world to retrieve news for the Witcher and to go about her usual mission of finding and then escorting weakened Scoia'tael commandos into Broccolon. After she updates Geralt on the news of Ciri and Nilfgaard, he decides he must set off to rescue her. Shortly after, she receives news from some of the Scoia'tael that Nilfgaard is moving into Sodden and Broga, so she rushes off to alert Geralt of the turmoil that's begun in the direction he's heading. Meanwhile, Dijkstra has received news about Milva spying for Geralt, but decides not to take action against either of them for the time being. He also meets with one of Amir's emissaries, where they both request that the other hand over criminals of their own countries, but they both also deny having knowledge of the criminals' whereabouts. Meanwhile, again, Philippa Eilhart arranged a meeting in Monte Calvo Castle between herself and seven other sorceresses, most of which we've met, a couple of which we have not. Her plan is to form a secret apolitical convent, or lodge, of mages that strictly consists of women. Meanwhile, meanwhile, Ciri seems to have adapted to the lifestyle of a rat. She and the rest of the gang parade themselves through a village where they receive much admiration and respect from most of the villagers. Well, there you have chapter one. And I'm going to kick off talking about it from the, from the start, like I typically like to do. And I want to start off talking about Milva. So... I want to explain what we know about her so far because she's a brand new character. There was one very, very brief mention of her in chapter five of Time of Contempt, but no elaboration whatsoever. So now that we've got more details, I want to go over that. And I'm sorry if this is a little bit spoilery. I don't think it's that big of a deal. I'm not going to unveil too much, but I, I want to get this over like I, I want to explain what we know about her because she does return again. This is not the last time we're gonna see her, hear from her. Uh, I, I'm not gonna say how long she's in the story or anything else about her involvement past this chapter, but I just figured I would throw that in there so that you understand why I'm talking about her as much as I am, because I've got a handful of notes here on Milva. So, unlike the Dryads of Broccolon, she was not born there. She was born to a human family. She was kind of like adopted, uh, sort of how they were going to take Siri in the Sword of Destiny uh, short story, if you remember that. The um, dryads were going to basically make them, make her one of them. Except I don't know if they performed a ritual and gave Milva the water of Broccoline like they were going to do with Siri. It's not explained. And something else that I'm not totally sure about, but it seems like this is the case, is that I think she's the only one that is allowed to come and go as she pleases. I don't think the Dryads are able to do that. And I think that's the reason that she's sent on the mission to find out uh, news for Geralt, because none of the other ones leave. I think they all have their jobs there and they all stay in Broccolon. But she ends up there originally because they caught her in a trap after she wandered into the forest, but they spared her life. And now because they spared her life, she's indebted to Ithne. 
And her name before she was captured by them, or I shouldn't, maybe shouldn't say captured, but before she became kind of one of them was Maria Baring. Geralt actually calls her that at one point. And her name now, Milva, in the elder speech means red kite. So Milva was originally used to gather humans, uh, round them up, and provoke them to attack the forest. And eventually, they caught on that she was actually doing that on purpose, that she was assisting the dryads in leading these humans into a trap. So after she got busted doing that, after she got busted doing exactly what she was doing, they did not have her continue with that mission anymore. So now she escorts Scoia'tael commandos into Broccolon for refuge after getting defeated fighting humans. Although she does seem to get along with the elves. She seems like they respect her, and or she, she seems like she respects them, they respect her. I don't think that she is totally in support of their cause because I think she seems to understand that they are being incited and used by Nilfgaard. Which is the case. And I know that they don't think that they're doing it for Nilfgaard. I think that they're doing it, or they think that they're doing it for, uh, you know, their own reasons, their own cause, something that is meaningful to them as the as an elven race. But Nilfgaard is the ones that are getting them to do that for Nilfgaard's best interest. And Milva seems to understand that that's what's going on. And she there's at one point in this chapter, she tries to convince this commando that's about to go back out and fight not to do it. But they're not going to listen to her, of course. So Milva is a very exceptional hunter, and she comes from a long line of hunters. Uh, She's got this bow that she's very proud of. It was really expensive, and it's supposed to be extremely proficient. Don't really know that much about bows or weapons, so I'm not going to try to explain too much that they they did explain a little bit about what makes this bow so great but i didn't even bother writing in the notes because i feel like i was just going to embarrass myself trying to talk about it but she's got a really great bow and she really knows how to use it so she is a very exceptional archer well now that we know pretty much all there is to know about milva at this point uh, i want to go in and talk about her involvement in this story so at first, when she's asked to go out and retrieve tidings from the world for Geralt, she's angry about this. She doesn't want to do it. Aethne needs to personally request her to do so before she agrees. And she has to do it at that point because she's indebted to Aethne. And she goes out and she gathers this news. And then she comes back and she delivers the news to Geralt. But she's actually very brusque with him at first. Like she's not. She doesn't want him to think that she's okay with it. She wants him to see how upset she is about this. But then after she sees his reaction to the news, she lightens up a little bit and she starts to sympathize. And I think that she realizes that he isn't who she thought he is. At first, she thought that he was one of the rebels from Thanad because the news about Thanad has completely gotten out. Everybody knows what happened there or has a general idea of what happened there. Um, But she thinks that he was just this bad guy that was a rebel and he came there and I don't think she even thought that it made sense for him to be there at all. But, you know, she wasn't going to care about that. But now that she's being basically forced to get involved she was not happy but i think she starts to see who he really is because she obviously had the wrong impression on Geralt at first so the first bit of news that she gives Geralt is on codringer's death next she heard that there is an order for Geralt and siri to both be captured alive they aren't 
going to find Siri because she vanished without a trace. Um, we know where she is, but or we have we kind of know where she is. We know what she's doing, but uh, nobody in an official position knows where Siri is at this time. So Milva leaves Broccolon again, and then she comes back with the news that Siri is in Nilfgaard and possibly betrothed to Amir. So this is actually when Geralt initially makes the decision to attempt to rescue Ciri. I don't know exactly how much time went by after he finds this out from Milva and then Dandelion shows up into the forest because uh, some of this is being uh, written not in the order of which everything took place because a lot of what we see in this chapter is a flashback. So Milva's thinking back to when she met Geralt and the events that took place between her and Geralt afterwards. All right. Let's move on and talk about Dijkstra now. So one little thing that I wanted to make sure I said about Dijkstra was his legs doing better in case you were wondering after Geralt really messed it up in the chapter four when they were on Thanad. Uh, his leg is doing better. Apparently he was being carried around in a big chair for a little bit of time, but he did have to beg Philippa to use a spell and heal his leg up. So I think that he, I don't know if he's able to walk on it yet or if it's just a lot more healed, but whatever. He he's uh, he did uh, get Philippa to do that, and that was not a good thing for him. He said that he lost face with her because he had to like whine to her and beg her for a spell. So, kind of funny. But he is currently the de facto governor of Redania because Vizimir's widow is too distraught by her husband's death, and Vizimir's son, Radovid, is his name, is way too young to rule. So, uh, Dijkstra has stepped up, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing. I know that he's not a character that we love, of course, so I, I just want to make sure that I say that when I say anything nice about him, but he's smart. He's definitely competent. He knows the ins and outs of governing and politics, so I think if you are a citizen of the country of Rodania, you're not in bad hands with Dijkstra. But I, but I don't love him or anything. I'm not, I'm not talking him up. I'm just saying it is true that he's smart. I don't think anybody could deny that. But during Dijkstra's conversation in this chapter with the Snilfgaardian envoy, Schillard Fitz Osterlin, by the way, I'm saying the name of this character who seems to be a, a very minor character, but he might come up again. And I'm not, this isn't spoilers or anything. I am just noticing that a lot of the very, very minor characters are, even in a small capacity, they get mentioned again. Not every time, or not every character, but some of them will come up a second, maybe a third or fourth time. Somebody that you would never think you'd hear about again because they just seemed so insignificant. They do come up again, so I want to make a point to start saying the names of these minor characters just in case they come up again and they can say, oh yeah, we talked about that in chapter whatever. So anyway, <laughs> uh, Schillard Fitz Osterlin. Um, so Dijkstra has a meeting with this guy. He's a Nilfgaardian envoy. And during this conversation, Dijkstra expresses his belief that Nilfgaard is secretly granting asylum to Vilgeforts and Yennefer. So he's definitely wrong about Vilgeforts. We see that firsthand from, uh, I forget whose perspective it was, but we see uh, Emperor Amir talking about how he doesn't know where Vilgeforts is, but he wants him found and he wants him killed. So we know for sure that Dijkstra's wrong. Vilgeforts is not receiving asylum in Nilfgaard at the moment. Uh, he could be wrong about Yen, but we really don't have a clue where she is. So I, I, I doubt she's in Nilfgaard. I guess it's possible, but I'd be very surprised. I, 
I know that would be quite the twist if Yennefer ended up in Nilfgaard and she was uh, secretly allied with Emperor Amir. If anything like that was going on, that would be quite the twist, but I just don't see it. Like, I, I can't imagine that that would be the case. It is possible, though, although I just, we don't know where she is. So I'm, I, I don't have any theories as to where Yennefer would be, but I would not think that it's Nilfgaard. But uh, Dijkstra, he is correct, though, when he does, um, he does imply that Francesca is now the queen of the free elves by the grace of Amir. So he is right in that. Shillard denies it, but it's the truth. That wouldn't have happened with Francesca if it wasn't for Amir. So he's not completely wrong about everything. But in this chapter, Dijkstra becomes aware of Geralt's location because a spy found out from Milva's intel. And he's also convinced that Geralt knows of Yennefer's location. And Geralt definitely does not know where Yennefer is. And we know this because, well, I mean, we, I think that uh, we would have picked up on that a while ago, but even if it was something like behind the scenes, uh, he even asks, Geralt asks Milva if she's heard updates on any of the mages from Thana because he wanted to know about Yen. So he does not know where she is. So. It's interesting. I know I was just talking about how smart Dijkstra is, but he's actually wrong about kind of a lot of things here. <laughs> he's he's so smart, but and he makes a lot of decisions without proof, and it usually works out well for him. But he's just off track with a decent amount of pretty important things here. And I don't know if maybe that's a common thing when you are in a position that he's in and you have to basically just guess things a lot. Like you have to try and figure things out without proof. But I just thought that I know, it stood out to me that he wasn't on the right track with as many things that he was off about here. But either way, um, Shillard tells Dijkstra that a precedent can be established to hand over criminals of Redania that are in Nilfgaard if Redania or if Dijkstra were to hand over Kahir. So Kahir is the Nilfgaardian knight that was in Ciri's nightmares for a long time. And then he was on Thaned and he tried to capture Ciri and then she didn't let him do that. And then Geralt was about to come up and kill him, but he spared him. So Dijkstra denies knowing Kahir's whereabouts, which is not a lie. He is being honest about that. Uh, he also denies even knowing who Kahir is. He's just like, hmm, it doesn't ring any bells. Uh, that's not true, though. He is aware of who Kahir is. I don't think he knew what his name was, though, because he writes a letter to Philippa, um, again, because he writes a couple letters to Philippa in this chapter. And in the letter, he's explaining that Redania was already searching for Kahir, and that it's interesting that Nilfgaard is only hunting those who failed to carry out orders, and since Kahir's orders were to capture and deliver Ciri, something is up. So he's got a theory. He doesn't say what the theory is, but I have a theory on what his theory is. And here's what it is. I think he's suspicious that Nilfgaard doesn't have the real Siri, which is the truth. Obviously, nobody really knows that except for Emir and the fake Siri and uh, two of his higher up guys, Taniel and the other guy, um, Vatier. So... Yeah, I think that Dijkstra is suspicious. He obviously isn't going to just know that. And I don't know what action he would take if he does come to that conclusion. He's definitely going to do some investigating and try to find out. But if he does come to that conclusion, I'm very curious to see what action he would take against that. I think he would probably, at the very least, just try to spread that information, get it out there. Because even though 
they can't really prove it. I think that just everybody hearing the rumor that they have an imposter Siri in Nilfgaard would discredit Amir in a lot of ways or amongst a lot of people. And then um, people might also start looking for the real Siri again. That is one benefit um, to them having the fake Siri in Nilfgaard is that people aren't looking for her anymore, aren't looking for the real Siri. And then you kind of felt bad for this fake Siri at first, but it seems like she's being treated okay. I mean, we haven't gotten any updates since chapter five of Time of Contempt, but they're treating her like she is royalty. So, I mean, I'm sure that that girl that they took was living the life of a peasant and her life is probably better now. I don't know that for sure, but I would imagine so. So, I mean, it's kind of a good thing at the moment, although series with the rats and I don't know if that's a good thing, but still, uh, things could be a lot worse in that regard. But anyway, moving on. I wanna talk about the convent slash lodge of sorceresses. That's how I have it written in my notes here, convent slash lodge. And I'm sorry if this is a spoiler. I don't think it's really that big of a deal though, but I'm just gonna tell you, it receives the official name of the Lodge of Sorceresses, and I'm just gonna refer to it that way. And I, I didn't want to have to tiptoe around that the whole time. I just wanted to be consistent and call it the same thing. So <laughs> it's, uh, sorry if that's spoiler and you didn't want to learn that already, but I, I don't think that's that big of a deal to hear that this gets this official name later. It is at one point called a lodge in this chapter, maybe once or twice, but it's not officially called that just yet. It will happen, I think, the next time that it's brought up. But for now, um, it's not an official thing, but I'm just going to call it that. So I'll, I'll do that as I'm talking about it now. So the lodge currently consists of eight sorceresses. So the first two that I have listed here are two sorceresses that we have never met until this chapter. So I've got, I'll explain a little bit about them, but we don't get to learn too much. So one of them is Asire Varanahid of Nilfgaard. So by that title I've just given her, you can clearly tell she is a Nilfgaardian sorceress. And the only thing that we really know is that the other women comment on her unattractive features. So she doesn't wear makeup and doesn't use the things that the sorceresses typically use to make themselves look younger and more beautiful. And she's apparently not very stylish. So that's all we really know about her so far. And then there is Shayla de Tankerville of Covir. And what we know about her is that the rest of them are pretty intimidated by her. They seem to respect uh, what she says, if she were to tell them what to do, they're definitely going to listen. Uh, she seems to have some authority. I think it's basically just because of the presence that she has. I think that she's just very confident and has a very commanding presence. But uh, that's most of what we know about her, except for that she doesn't get involved in politics or official mage groups. She actually was part of the council at one point, but she resigned. So that's it for Shayla. And then the rest uh, consist of Philippa, of course, she's the one who organized it, Tris Marigold, uh, Margarita, who is the rectoress from Aratusa, Kira Metz, Sabrina Glevisig, and Francesca Findebear. So Philippa wants the lodge to consist of 12 members, and uh, it's only at eight. I just listed eight sorceresses there. So what is going to happen is Philippa allows Francesca to choose, well, she tells her she can choose a candidate um, so that she's not the only pureblood elf present in the lodge. And then Francesca asks if she could um, bring along two, and Philippa allows that. And then she tells Asire that she can bring another candidate uh, that has to be from Nilfgaard so that they can have another Nilfgaardian sorceress in this group. 
So the 12th candidate is going to be a surprise. Philippa has somebody in mind, but she doesn't say who it is, but she does say that it's someone that's going to astonish the rest of them because she's not an ordinary person. I don't have a lot to go off of with the theory I have on who it is, but I'm going to explain why I think it's this person. I could be wrong. So I've got two theories. One is that it's somebody we've never met. It's going to be a brand new character or it's going to be Siri. So in Dijkstra's letter to Philippa, he says the witcher sending emissaries to search for traces of Princess Cirilla, the young girl you're so interested in. So that's, I mean, I mean, I, Siri is an interesting person, but I mean, it kind of lines up. It's very close together. So I think that that's part of it. Also, Philip has seen Siri perform her mediumistic abilities, and she also must be aware that Siri's a source. So that would kind of fall into it. And then also, it, w- it would be really unexpected. Nobody's going to be thinking, aside from me, I mean, nobody in the existing group of sorceresses here is going to think that they're going to have Siri, this young girl that knows very little about magic, that was taught very little by Yennefer. Nobody's going to think that that's who Philip is going to want to bring along. Um, Philippa obviously isn't aware that Siri rel- relinquished her magic. But I don't know if that really matters because Siri might still have access to her original abilities, the ones that she inherited, that she was born with. So I don't, I, I mean, it's, I don't know if that's even why Philippa wants her. I mean, that has to be because why would she want just some, you know, she could just go pick a student out, out of Veratuza if that's, if that's what the case was. But yeah, I don't actually know if Siri still has access to that stuff or not. Because when she relinquished her powers, she definitely lost all of the magic that she acquired when she was practicing with Yennefer. But it, it isn't said or explained yet whether or not she still has those other things. But either way, um, I could be off. It could just be a brand new character. I don't think it's going to be anybody that we've met. Because the one person I thought for a second was Yennefer, but I don't think that Yennefer would astonish anybody. I think that that would actually make a lot of sense because she's a very talented and prominent sorceress so that wouldn't that candidate wouldn't astonish anybody and even if they do believe that she was secretly in cahoots with Nilfgaard I don't think that they're going to be surprised because of that because Francesca is part of the group so yeah that's that's what I think as of right now but we're gonna have to wait and see So the point of this lodge is to prioritize the future of magic. It's supposed to remain apolitical, which by the end of the meeting, they seem to all be on board with. But at first, some of them were not happy with the presence of other members because of the whole thing with Nilfgaard. Like Sabrina was very angry at seeing Francesca because of what happened on Thaned. But I think by the end of this meeting, it's not really that big of a problem anymore. They seem to all just be okay with it not being political and everybody's allowed to practice politics outside of this lodge, but if they do want to join, which nobody has officially decided if they're going to yet, but if they do want to, then they have to leave politics out of it. So now that the chapter and council are gone, there's no institution in existence anymore that looks out for the best interests of magic and its future. So the chapter and council were just very involved in politics. A lot of uh, the members' egos and self-interest got in the way. And that's 
pretty much why they were, they being the chapter in the council, were able to end so abruptly. So they want to make sure that all of that stuff that led to the downfall of those two institutions is completely left out of it. So they're going to discuss in more detail objectives for the Lodge during their next meeting, which is supposed to be in person. And I don't think I've mentioned this even in the summary, but uh, half of the members of this meeting were present through teleprojection, like a magical teleprojection. So they weren't actually there. They just looked like they were there, which is pretty cool because we have not been um, present in a situation where they were using that teleprojection. So yeah, I just thought that that sounded pretty cool. Alrighty, I have one other little thought before I move into my closing thoughts, and I just didn't really have a good place to fit this into, so that's why it's just kind of um, random on its own here, but (laughs) I just wanted to make sure that I talked about the fact that it has been rumored the person who assassinated King Vizimir of Erdania was either an elf or a half-elf, and now with that, the humans are seeking revenge which means that they are targeting and slaughtering elves more than they ever have been. I guess probably mainly in Redania, maybe a little bit in Temeria too, because they're allied, but still. uh, The the tension between elves and humans, or humans and non-humans, was already bad. I mean, it's been bad since the first time it was brought up back in sometime in the Last Wish book. Uh, But it's just, (laughs) it just keeps getting worse. There's never a time where they talk about it getting better. All right, with that, I'll move into my closing thoughts here. Uh, I've got just a few things I want to talk about, kind of where we're left off at at the end of this chapter. So, um, Siri is among the rats still. We just get a very brief update there. It's not even through her perspective, it's through the perspective of a stranger, but it seems like she's pretty acclimated. Uh, she was holding hands with Missile. Missile was the one that forced herself on Siri in the last chapter. So it looks like they're actually in a consensual relationship now, which is odd. Wouldn't expect that. But I mean, Siri's got nobody at all except for them. So I mean, it's not really too surprising that she would latch on to, uh, especially people that are around the same age as her, um, to these people that are offering to be close to her. Uh, it's just they're criminals and they like to kill people, so it's pretty dangerous. And Siri probably shouldn't become that type of person herself. But in just in life in general, with everybody, like you're influenced by the people you spend the most time around. So it's looking like Siri's probably gonna end up becoming just like them. I think we kind of got that understanding at the end of the last chapter when. Uh, the one soldier was talking to the prefect and Tawny Al about how he had this really bad wound on him that was actually given to him by Siri because it, he and his little unit were attacked by the rats and Siri actually got that guy. So yeah, she, I, I, I don't know. She could be a nicer version of them, but I, it's just, it's not looking good. So something else that looks like, <laughs> uh, it looks pretty bad. Uh, Amir is already making efforts to commit aggression against Tamaria. Um, Tamaria and Nilfgaard signed a neutrality pact. I said I did not think he was going to stick with it, and he is not doing that. So we know this because there are Skoyatel, who we know are incited by Nilfgaard, attacking in Tamaria, and according to Dijkstra, 
armed gangs have been raiding in Sodden and Brugge, and Sodden and Brugge are under Temerian protection. So if you attack Sodden and Brugge, then you are attacking Temeria. Dijkstra also says, War may break out in a day or two. The border on the Yuruga will soon go up in flames. Also, when Milva is talking to the Skoyatel, she discovers they're going to join the fighting that um, has already started because Nilfgaard has now crossed the Yuruga into Sodden and striking Brugge. So, I mean, they don't confirm nor deny that this has happened, but I bet it has. No reason to believe it hasn't. And uh, yeah, so after Milva learns this, this is when she decides to try and catch Geralt and tell him to turn back. That's where the chapter's left off. Not good. The war is expanding. More people are going to die, suffer, get hurt, get sick. It's terrible. All right. On that cheery note, that's all I have for you. So just to let you know, in case you didn't, these episodes are available on YouTube with video, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts with just the audio. Thank you so, so much for joining in. I will catch you all in the next episode.